Well, we are in week seven of a series we're calling His Story and Your Story. Today we talk about the church, the followers of Jesus. We finally made it to now. We're talking about the the history of the world from beginning to end, and we've gotten to now. You know, we've gotten to the church age, which surprisingly is the longest period of time. You know, like creation to the flood is a shorter period of time than the church age. The law of Moses from Moses to Jesus is a shorter period of time than the church age. The longest period of time that we have on a biblical timeline is this time now, the time of the church, the time of the the Holy Spirit, the time where the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ is brought to the world, but before the second coming. This is the longest period of time that we have. Now, this is a great time because we talked about Noah. He built a huge boat and that's awesome stuff, but something else is being built right now. There's a different thing that is being built now and that's basically what we're going to talk about. So let's go to Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 15, and let's look at this. But what about you? So Jesus is asking his disciples, hey, what are people talking about? You know, what are they saying about me? How is it going? And uh, here is what, you know, they tell him, well, some say that you're Elijah, some one of the prophets, you know, different things. They had some strange beliefs. But uh, so then he asked the 12, what do you, who do you think I am? So what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So this had not been described before here. uh, Peter is saying what I'm sure they all felt in their hearts, but he's saying it out loud. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God, not just a cool teacher, but you are the son of God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. You are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. So the thing that's being built now is the church. Jesus is building his church. It used to be a huge boat. You know, then there was the the temple, Solomon's temple that was being built. Now the church is being built. And what is the church? The church is the followers of Jesus. It's the group. It's the the assembly. It's the, uh, the number of people coming together. It would not sound quite as cool, but the word congregation would actually be a better translation there. On this rock, I will build my congregation. I will build my assembly. I will build my followers. And what is the rock? You know, Peter was named Simon. Jesus renames him uh, Peter, which means rock. If we were to just translate it in in their language, he would have just been named rock. You know, your name is Simon, but guess what? I'm naming you rock now because on this rock, I will build my church. And so Peter is is not the foundation of the church, but he's the personification of the the foundation of the church, which is the revelation and the belief that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. 
When we believe in Jesus, when that is revealed to us by God and we, we see it and it's clear, then we become a follower of Jesus and that is how the church is built. So Peter is the personification of faith in Christ and faith in Christ then is, you know, Christ is the, the foundation that we stand on and belief that faith in Christ is what Jesus is talking about when he calls Peter uh, the rock, you know, and that that's the rock that this is built on. So it's the understanding, the revelation, that the belief that Jesus is the Christ. And then the church, this congregation, this assembly, you know, the body of believers around the world, this revolution of people coming together is seen here as a a conquering, unstoppable force. The gates of Hades will not overcome it. The, The old King James, the gates of hell will not overcome it, meaning that there is nothing, not even the gates of hell that will overcome this church, this revolution of the people of God coming together. And I was, when I first uh, read this section of, of scripture, I thought, well, the gates of hell, why would you want to get in there? You know, like, isn't this talking basically about, you know, why would I want to get past the gates of hell? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. I want to get far away from the gates of hell. But what this is talking about is that people who are lost, people who don't know God, people who are, are going to hell, who are living a destructive life, the people that need to be rescued, who are in the grip of the enemy, the church will overcome that and be able to go and rescue them and bring them out. So that's what this this church that is being built is able to do to rescue people from the clutches of the enemy, to bring people out of a destructive life where they're going to be separated from God for eternity, but to bring them into a relationship with God and into a, a life of abundant life now. Like this is an amazing, amazing thing. And Jesus is talking about this church, like it's got an incredible strength, incredible power to be able to overcome any opportunity obstacle, anything in this world. So this, this congregation, this church is a conquering, unstoppable force of people who are called out of the world to follow Jesus. This church, you know, is called different things in different parts of the Bible as well. You know, it, uh, the body of Christ from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 called uh, the temple, called God's field, God's building, a spiritual house. You can even, you know, kingdom of God, you could throw that in there, but the, the, the church is a piece of the kingdom of God. It's not the whole kingdom of God. So the, the church is part of, it's a subset of the kingdom of God, but it's not... You know, they're not synonymous, but certainly the church is in the kingdom of God, part of the kingdom of God. So this is an amazing thing that is being built. This church, this group of followers of Jesus, the disciples, all of us coming together. The church is an amazing thing. So let's look at how it got started in Acts chapter two. How did the church start? So uh, of course, Jesus was crucified on the cross. He rose again and appeared to different people. And then Jesus ascends into heaven, floats away, and then Pentecost comes, which is a great gathering. It's like a, a harvest festival gathering of people 
in Jerusalem and a great miracle happens where these people who don't know other languages are able to just say the wonders and mysteries of God in languages they don't even know. And all these people are like, what in the world is going on? So it's an incredible miracle, just an amazing thing. And then Peter preaches to this huge crowd of people telling them about Jesus and that he really is the Messiah, who really is the Son of God, and they put him to death, so they're in real trouble, and they're all of a sudden like, oh no, what have we done? This is so bad. And then they get to that place where they're just like, tell us what to do. And that's where we pick it up. And what a great place for any preacher. If the congregation is like, just tell us what to do, like, then you're done, right? You know, it's super easy. So he just is able to tell them what to do. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So he tells them to repent and be baptized, and then they'll receive the Holy Spirit. So the way that people are added into the church is repentance. You know, you're, you're asking for forgiveness of sins, pledging to live a different life. You know, you're changing your ways, repentance, baptism, the initiation into the church. You know, we're forgiven when we ask for forgiveness because we're saved by faith in the blood of Christ, what Jesus did on the cross. But baptism is an important part of our commitment to Christ and walking in those ways. So he told them to be baptized in the name of Jesus, and then they would receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. And this is for, it's for them, it's for their kids, for people that aren't even there, for all whom the Lord our God will call, people in the future. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So he's putting out a plea to these people, come in, follow Jesus, receive forgiveness. It's available. You can have it. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. How's that for a a kickstart? 3,000 New followers of Jesus. Of course, I think a lot of them had known who Jesus was and they, you know, then all these different things happened. And so some of them kind of pulled back a little bit, but now they're fully committed believers. They're following Christ. So we go from the 120 or so in the upper room. Now we've added 3000 later in the same day, 3000 people are added to the group. And then how does it go? Verse 42 They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So what did they do as new followers of Christ? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. To us, that would translate as the Bible. They devoted themselves to the teachings of God, the apostles' teachings, what Peter had to say, you know, those sorts of things that are here in the scriptures. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. So this is to the group, to each other. They devoted themselves to each other. They connected with each other. They, they uh, worshiped together. They, they believed in the group. Uh, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. So eating together, both in small groups and in larger groups, and to prayer. 
So these were the things that they did. They built relationships with each other. They studied the truths of God, you know, the apostles' teaching. Now we have them written down. They were very familiar with the Old Testament already. So we learned the Old Testament and the New Testament. That pulls us in line with those things. And they were uh, not just people of church, not just people who connected with each other, but they were also people of prayer. So they were really worshiping in spirit and in truth right there at that stage. And amazing things were going on. Let's look at how, let's keep reading here and look at how that, that played out. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So we had miracles going on. Incredible things were happening. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So they helped each other out. If somebody had a need, somebody else would help them out. And they would meet together in the temple courts. So this would be thousands of people getting together uh, each day. But they would also get together in, in small groups, breaking bread together in their homes. And everybody was just excited about what God was doing. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So it was going so well that the outsiders thought it was awesome. They, they were enjoying the favor of all the people. So the, the people who weren't even sure about Jesus and this, you know, Jesus the Messiah, I don't think so. But those people are awesome. You know, like awesome things are happening there. That's something good going on over there. They enjoyed the favor of all the people and new people were coming in every day. Those who were being saved, being brought out of uh, unbelief into faith in Christ, brought out of uh, a destructive, painful life into new life in Christ. This was happening every day. How does that sound? How does that sound? Does that sound pretty good? So this church that's being built is an awesome, wonderful thing. Now it's still people. Uh, we can, we can, uh, you know, glorify the early church and make that into something that really wasn't how it was. They were still people. They had quarrels and squabbles and misunderstandings, and they had their various problems, but it was going so well. It was just beautiful. Now, and, I, and this is something we want to recapture. We want to grab hold of. We want to, because we're still in that same era now. We're still in the time of the church. We're still there where all these things are available to us. Let me tell you, the church, people have a lot of misconceptions of what the church is. And let me just tell you my understanding of the church. The church is a revolution. How many people think that this world needs to change? that there are things that could get better. The church is the agent of change. It's the, the revolutionary force of God to change the world, to bring all kinds of good things into this world. This is, um, man, I want to jump to Luke 4. So this is what we do here. We are that revolution that great movement of the people of God that are, that are following Jesus and who are changing the world. Last week, we read from Luke chapter four, where Jesus basically is talking about what he's going to do as fulfilling a, a, a prophecy in the book of Isaiah. So let's reread this because now 
Jesus isn't doing things on the planet like he was when he was here, but there are other people that do things in Jesus' name. There are people who do things in the stead of Jesus, who do things that Jesus has commissioned them to do. And so Jesus showed us the way, and now we follow in the way, and we do things in Jesus' name. And so let's read this. Let's see what Jesus came to do, and let's understand that he has passed the baton to us. So Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read. So Jesus was an attender of synagogue and he also volunteered. He, he, was a, he would read scriptures and stuff. So that's kind of fun. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. Let's stay here for just a little bit. So the spirit of the Lord is on me. And and Jesus here in a little bit, he says, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He's saying, this is now the time for this. The, The spirit of the Lord is on me is what Jesus is saying. He's been anointed to bring good news to the poor. Now we are the ones who bring good news to the poor. We do that in Jesus' name. We now follow in the ministry of Christ, and we are the ones who are anointed to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. So Jesus came not just to rescue people out of physical poverty and spiritual poverty, but also to set people free, to set prisoners free. Now, this I believe in all of these, there's the spiritual side and there's the practical physical side, you know, set prisoners free. Well, we saw chains fall off of people, you know, in the, in the new Testament, we see literal prisoners set free, but also of course we can be inside of a prison, a spiritual prison, an emotional prison. We can be caught in our own prison and we can be set free through Christ from that. That's something Jesus came to do. And he has now commissioned us to continue in that work to proclaim uh, to, to give freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. Of course, Jesus did physically give sight to the blind, but more than that, you know, that's the, the, the practical, actual example of someone who is blind receiving sight. But also, there are, of course, so many people who their spiritual eyes are opened, their awareness of God is sparked, and they get vision to be able to see what life is really all about. What what the true values are, what, what, their, uh, what their own worth and value is, and how they can be part of what God is doing. They can see it. They get vision for it. Recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. There's, you know, there's prisoner, freedom for the prisoners, and then also freedom for the oppressed. And that's something that, that Jesus came to do, and it's something that now we carry that message as well, to set the, uh, the oppressed free. And then verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and we get to continue to proclaim that. We get to say, today, God is in a good mood. <laughs> you know, the 
favor of God is upon us. Today is the day of salvation, and we can receive the forgiveness of God. We can be brought into that. We are now the ones who carry this message. The church is the revolutionary force of God to continue to fulfill what Jesus said he was there to fulfill in Luke chapter 4. And the way I see it, I see it like someone passing a baton. Have you ever, uh, you know, symbolically seen someone pass a baton? You know, like somebody's maybe been the, the leader of a company for 20 years and they're retiring. So they hand the baton to the next person. They have a big, big event or something like that. I've seen that happen a few times. But the way I see this with Jesus is Jesus, you know, he's the light of the world. And then he gives us light that we can share with the world. And I see it as Jesus handing the baton in a race. You know, he's finished the race. He hands off the baton. And then a thousand people are running with a baton. It just explodes into a huge mass of people. And now it's billions around the world who are believers in Jesus, who claim to be Christians, who have grabbed the baton and who are now running to help fulfill this prophecy from Isaiah, that the good news would be preached to the poor, that there would be freedom for the prisoners and for the oppressed, that there would be sight given to the blind and that there would be favor, the favor of God upon the world, communicated to the world. This is what we do. We carry that, uh, that baton into the future and help to do our part to be a revolutionary force to bring the light of God, the goodness of God, the love of God, the freedom of God into a world that's full of oppression and prisoners and blindness and people who just think God is angry at them and wants to hurt them. And, and we come to fix all of that. Isn't it amazing what we get to be part of? Isn't that just incredible? Now is the, the time of the church age. It's the time of the revolution of any, anybody coming in, loving Jesus and being able to go and be part of it. And this, as the church grew, it's described kind of in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, kind of talks about what was happening. This is now several years after Jesus has uh, risen from the dead and Pentecost happened. This is now several years later. The apostle Paul's gotten saved and he's doing ministry. And so I don't know, this is probably 20, 30 years, maybe more into the church age. And this is how the church is now described in Ephesians chapter four. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. So this is a description of a whole bunch of different types of leaders inside the church, inside this revolution. There's not just one leader, you know, there is Christ, the one great Messiah that we all follow. But then as far as as the humans filling different roles, here are our five leadership roles that are described, you know, apostles, people who, who uh, cover new ground for the kingdom of God. You know, these are people who go into unreached areas and bring the gospel, missionaries, church planters, people who are, are trying to take new ground for the kingdom of God. You got prophets, people who speak, uh, speak, in the stead of God, speaking the words of God, holy and anointed words from God. You've got the evangelists, the people who are, are 
bringing the truth to individuals and trying to draw people into Christ, pastors, you know, the shepherds, the ones who love and help and and are there with you, and teachers, the ones who explain. So there's all these types of leaders. This is a, a large organization spread out geographically with all kinds of different interesting types of leaders. And what's their purpose is to equip his people for works of service. So the, the purpose of the leaders is to help all of the followers of Christ carry their baton and help to set the prisoner free, help to bring sight to the blind, help to free people from oppression, help to to get the good news to the poor, help people understand that the favor of God is available and on them. Now those leaders equip all the followers of Jesus for these works of service, these good works, the work of the ministry, as it says in the King James, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So we can see that there's a lot that's happened, but there's also a picture of the future that we're going to to reach the unity in in the faith and and attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. There's an anticipation of the the power of this revolution of these people following God who are going to bring these good things into the world. And it's going to be awesome. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are part of this revolution. How awesome is that? You know what I mean? You get to be part of that. It's a fantastic, incredible, wonderful thing. So how do you do that? How do you be part of this revolution? I Hopefully, you're getting a little bit excited. You know, I can feel a little bit. There's some people in there that are like, yeah, come on, man. Let's, let's take the land for Jesus. And there are, you know, some are kind of like, ah, he's talking kind of loud. But <laughs> I'm excited about this because this is us right now. This is today's world. This is how we get to participate. It's fun to look at, oh, Moses, you know, he, he did all this stuff, and that's neat historically, but we are not there. We don't get to participate in it. You know, Jesus taught, and he did his miracles. That would have been awesome to be there, but now it is the church age. We are in the middle of it. We get to participate in it. We get to be part of it, and so let's not miss the opportunity about the thing that we're living in right now, and so how do we do that? How do we be part of this revolution? Well, people have tried a few, different, uh, a few different strategies. One of them that I'm going to make fun of right now is to just kind of be a sour, angry person that hates everything. How badly have we missed being part of the revolution that brings the goodness of God to the world when, we're, you know, when people are Christians and they just are mad at everything and sour people? That is like... Really, really, really missing it a lot. So how do we do it? How do we be this revolution? How do we each do our part? Because let me tell you, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. When we all work together, then it isn't a a destructive thing on any of us. But we get to work together and stand together. So how do we do it? Well, at Good Hope Church, we have our vision statement, which is basically the encapsulation of how we follow Christ and be part of this revolution. First part, reach up. 
Connect with God. A real relationship with the living God is available to you. Either when you first come to Christ, receive forgiveness of sins and new life in Christ, and you pledge your life to follow Jesus, there's that part of reaching up, and then there's the abiding in the vine, staying connected to Christ throughout your life, having a vibrant prayer life, staying connected with the Lord. Then there's the rise up part. This is freely receiving. Rise up out of the junk that's been holding you back into your true calling and true purpose in Christ. Now, rise up is very, very important because here's the deal. Jesus was anointed to preach the good news to the poor. So we want to receive the good news first before we share it with other people. We want to receive the good news to the poor. The poor, you know, I believe that's talking about uh, certainly about poverty, but it's also talking about spiritual depravity, spiritual brokenness, and that sort of uh, reality as well. So we need to receive that freedom from that spiritual poverty and maybe even get free from material poverty. That'd be fantastic. We need to receive that first. That's rise up, you know, to set the captives free, the prisoner free. Well, we need to get out of our own prisons. We need to be set free ourselves. The oppression that is over us, we need to shed that, take those yokes off, refuse to be bound by that and walk with Christ in victory. Uh, The recovery of sight for the blind, that we would have vision and that we would see and not be just blinded by our circumstances and live in a little bitty, itty bitty world. You know, that world, that selfish, self-centered world. You know, what a tragedy to be self-centered because you know what? You're the only one in your reality if your world revolves around you. You are alone. No one else lives in a world that revolves around you. It would only be you. And so get out of that little world and come into this great, beautiful creation of God. Recovery of sight for the blind. We need to rise up into that, and we need to rise up into the favor of God. Jesus came to proclaim the year of God's favor. Today is the day of salvation. We need to know that when we're forgiven, we don't have to keep proving ourselves to God, but it's just done. And we can walk in the favor of God and we can have that security and that peace in our hearts. We need to rise up into that, receive that personally so that then we can share it. Then we can reach out. Then we can give that to this world. Then we are walking in the ways of God. So So reach up, rise up, reach out is how we say how to follow Jesus, how to be part of this revolution, how to be part of the church. And then, of course, the elephant in the room. When when are we supposed to be done? (laughs) Come on. The elephant in the room is this, that Christians aren't super good at actually following Jesus, right? Gandhi said that he thought the teachings of Christ were the best religious teachings in the world. And if he could find one person who followed him, he would convert to Christianity. He did not convert to Christianity. I'm reading a book called You Found Me that's a statistical analysis of evangelism in America today. And the bottom line is that the world isn't against Christ. We're just really bad at sharing Christ. The world isn't angry at Christians. The world isn't resistant to spiritual conversations. There are individual people, but the majority of people are open. We're just bad at being examples of Christ and bad at sharing what God has done in our lives. It's, it's us. The church is failing. 
What a disaster that is. We can't solve the whole problem of why the church is failing in the next five minutes. But I want to just say two things quickly to help us grab hold of how we can be part of this revolution and not have it fall apart. The first point is this. Division is bad. If an army has, a, has mutinies and, and they're fighting within each other, it doesn't work. And it's the same thing with this revolution, this church, the body of Christ, the temple of God. Division is a serious problem. Now, division is complicated because leaders will go astray and now what do you do and all that sort of thing. But I just want to say division is bad. Don't follow people. Don't follow church. You know, like don't follow Good Hope Church. Don't follow me. Follow Jesus. Because when we look at ministries and pastors and teachers and and these sorts of things and we start uh, evaluating them against each other, then now we've gone down a difficult place that can lead to division. The Apostle Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians um, Let's, let's just read verses 6 and 7. Hopefully that'll work. Verses 6 and 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So some people in Corinth are like, I love Apollos. Some are like, I love Peter. I love Paul. Uh, well, yeah, I love Jesus. And they're having this division. And so uh, Paul is trying to straighten it out. And he's saying, look, I... Paul himself, he planted the seed. He started the church there in Corinth. Apollos is now there pastoring and he's teaching people. He's watering it. But God's the one that does the work. God's the one that makes it grow in verse 7. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. So Good Hope Church is nothing. Pastor Mike is nothing. Uh, The other churches, it doesn't matter. It's about Jesus. It's about following the Lord. That's what it's about. Uh, There's going to be no Good Hope Church in heaven. You know, I hope you realize that there's going to be Jesus in heaven. You know, there's going to be a great throne. There's going to be a glorious, wonderful things, but there's not going to be Good Hope Church. This is a brand. It's a, it's a little piece of the body of Christ. And so don't follow a church. Don't follow a pastor. Follow Jesus and let the individual church be something that helps with that. And then God takes division very seriously. 1 Corinthians 3, same chapter, verses 16 and 17. I just want to read this quickly. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? So this, the church, the revolution is also described here as the temple of God. The New Testament temple is the believers. The spirit of God dwells in the believers of God. And then we bring that to the world. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. If anyone destroys God's temple, that word destroys could literally be translated as cause to wither away. It isn't like dropping a hammer on something. It's just making it weak and wither. So if anyone ruins defiles God's temple by bringing in division, by pitting one church against another, one ministry against another, one pastor against another. If anyone weakens the body of Christ by bringing division in those lines, then that person's in a dangerous place. It says here, God will destroy that person. 
Now, it's complicated because there's false teaching, false prophets. There's all this mess. Let me tell you, have a love for the group and don't cause division. And then the second thing I just want to briefly touch on is that unity includes great diversity. The body of Christ, this revolution, it's like a football team. There's all kinds of different people that are necessary. And, you know, on a football team, not only do you have a great variety of types of players, you know, you got these massive linemen and you got these incredible uh, running backs that can move like no one else on the planet. You got people that can catch a ball behind their head with one hand. You know, uh, you got people like that all the way from, you know, like five foot six, 185 pounds to close to 400 pound human beings out there on a football field, all with different roles. But not only that, you've got coaches, you've got uh, people who are preparing the field, building the stadiums, you've got sports medicine people, you've got cheerleaders, you know, you've got people selling hot dogs in the stands. There's all kinds of different roles that are all vitally important for this to all work. And it's the same thing in the, the body of Christ. There's all these different roles. I mean, you might be a running back and think, you know what matters? The person with the ball who's breaking tackles and who's getting injured. That's the person that matters. Well, guess what? Without a trainer, that running back isn't going to be able to make it work. Without a decent coach who's calling good plays, it's not going to work. We all need each other, and we are all very, very different. This is described in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, Let's read 14 through 16. Even so, the body is is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. All right. How many people have thought to yourself, I don't fit in in the church world? I don't fit in in this revolution. Does that mean that you aren't part of it? No. These verses are saying, you can say, well, I'm not like them, so I don't belong. I'm not like this amazing person who is just the super great Christian. I'm not like that. So I don't belong. This scripture says you can say you don't belong, but you still do. It doesn't matter. You don't get to take yourself out of the revolution. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are part of the revolution. You are part of bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. You're part of it. Now you might not be an evangelist. You might be like one of the trainers you might even be the guy that holds the mic, the cord. I suppose now it's all wireless, but in the old days, somebody would follow the head coach around in the NFL, holding the cord for his headset so it wouldn't get tangled up. They, all these things are very important. I mean, what if some lineman steps on the cord and his headset flies off? You know, I mean, that's going to cause a serious problem. You might lose the game because of that miscommunication that happens from that. You might not feel like you fit in. Let me tell you, I did not fit. In the Christian world, when I got saved, I did not fit at all. I was a mess. I mean, like, they thought I was dangerous. I don't know, but they were, people were afraid of me because I would ask questions that they couldn't answer. And I would say things that, you know, normal Christians aren't supposed to say. And I just didn't know how it all worked. You know, I went to church and people are standing up and they're sitting down and I'm, I don't know what in the world is going on. And it was just very confusing and weird. And I didn't know what was going on. And my first thought was, I don't fit here. It just doesn't make any sense. I don't know what these people are doing, but I know I'm not one of them. But the Bible says different. You may feel like you don't belong, but you do. If you're a follower of Jesus, You are part of the revolution. And then the next section, 21 and 22, says this. 
The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So on the contrary, you can't disclude yourself, but you also don't disclude someone else. The body of Christ includes people that you don't understand, that aren't like you, that have very different roles, and we need each other. So don't exclude someone because they're different from you or you don't understand them. And there's all kinds of interesting, strange parts of the body of Christ. But don't disclude yourself. Don't exclude who you are because you don't feel like you fit. If you don't fit, you know what? That means that part is missing. So we need you all the more. If you don't fit, that part is missing. So include yourself. I got two more verses to read. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 and 27. 26 says this, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So the church, the revolution is damaged when any part of it isn't functioning right. But we all get to celebrate together. So how does the church get better at being the church? By each of us getting better at following Jesus and each of us standing together in unity. Put your faith in God. Put your faith in his plan then the gates of hell will not prevail. So let's be part of this revolution by belonging, by choosing to put your faith in what the scripture says that you do belong, you do have a role, you are important. And then of course, don't exclude, include. Our closing verse is 1 Corinthians 12, 27. We used this one a couple weeks ago. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. All y'all... All of us are the body of Christ, not just good hope people. All followers of Jesus are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. You belong. Take your place and serve the Lord. When we all do that together, the gates of hell will not prevail.